Pod, 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 Pod. Rugby Pod. Hello and welcome back to the Rugby Pod. Big Jim and Goody are with me as usual. We'll be looking back at all the action from the Champions and Challenge Cup semi-finals. Then we'll be having a chat with one of Ireland's best pundits and former Leinster hooker Bernard Jackman. So settle back, enjoy, and make sure you've subscribed on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. How's your week been, lads? All good. Positive, Jim. Good start. Was that positive? Well, yeah. <laughs> I was expecting... I'm looking at you, and I'm thinking you're going to say, how fucked. No, I'm a bit tired, I am, but I have said to Beck that I will not use the term tired in my vocabulary if I've been away working or if I've been burning the candle at both ends, which I haven't, but I was away working. I say work. I did the dinner that you did a few years ago that's been in the pipeline for a couple of years now at the Shottery RFC in Stratford-upon-Avon. I did that on Friday neat. Big shout out to them. Big shout out to Shottery Rugby Club, Andrew. I know you went there. They spoke really uh, widely, I mean, highly of you. And I enjoyed their company. It was one of them where it took me back, right? Not that my memories going back are amazing, but the feeling of an old school rugby club, like the heart and soul. And big shout out to Eugene, who is a legend. He's loose. He's loose, but he's a legend. He is pretty loose, isn't he? He is pretty loose, but he is a legend, isn't he? He's one of them guys that's yeah. kind of, you know, been a part of the club for a while. I sat next to him at the top table, but it was like a top table in your mate's garage. Like, that's what it felt like. And I loved it. I like my mate's garage, by the way. Not that it was like a shithole. It was like, my mate's garage is a really nice garage if he had a garage. So it was like that, basically, at a rugby club. And bloody loved it. Back with the people. Back with the people. And they were a bit annoyed because I smoke bombed at what I thought was an admirable time in the morning, which was about 12.30. A bit of context for that, because I'm not Andy Power, right? I ain't going to a dinner. And then getting paid to go to the dinner, spending all my fee, getting in at four in the morning, getting abused while I'm in a taxi while someone's videoing it and then putting it online. And <laughs> basically waking up darker than when I went to sleep. So that ain't me. I am in, do a job, have a few beers with the masses and try and get back. I mean, it was Beck's birthday. I got called out. I got, I got called out. And on the, they had this sheet basically of the times of people that have spoken before what time they leave and basically people had to bet a fiver in terms of when they thought I was going to go back and they'll get the money back next year apparently I don't know how it works Goody you were down there as leaving at half 12 I'm sure you drove last time no mate just went hard with the lads went hard with the lads mate just for the masses getting as you said down and dirty well Brian Moore he was half 10 I don't think he was on there actually I'm lying <laughs> uh, but there was a few legends on there in years gone by that have been there Tom Wood 
Apparently, he stayed out to the early hours and he had a driver waiting outside for him. I mean, it is big time. Dylan Hartley, he went as well, but he left at half eight. I don't even think he did it in the end. So <laughs> I'm joking. He did. He did. But no, it was good, actually. It was, it was good to reconnect with the masses again. And a big shout out to Shottery Rugby Club. And then Beck's birthday, uh, talking about reconnecting. Beck's birthday on Saturday, went out for dinner, is what I'm saying. We connected over a bit of Mexican and went for a drink and told each other we loved each other and that's the way that the weekend went and that was it basically just stopped there that was it Andrew before you ask anymore uh, I'm not that emotional you know what I mean she, she's looking for more love she's looking for more energy from me in that part but I just can't give it but she got I love you and I said it like this I love you like that and uh, we had a good night Saturday I knew it was a special occasion Jim because it's not often that you'll put the missus on your social media right yeah, well, you know, yeah, but celebrities don't do that, do they? They don't want to put their family out there, do they? Just all the time. Oh, is Beck the celebrity, or is that you you're talking about? No, me in Indonesia. So, oh yeah, <laughs> you just got to be careful, don't you? Because I don't really know them people in Indonesia. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's one of them where it's a bit weird. Like most of my followers, I know. But the ones that I bought in Indonesia, 40,000 of them, I don't really know who they are. You bought 80,000? No, 40. I promise you I bought 40. That was it. And then I had to put a stop on it because it was getting ridiculous. It got, like, too stupid. So uh, I didn't put it out there. But look, yeah, she's the love of my life. So I put her out there on social media when I'm feeling like, you know, she needs to get out there. And the amount of people that are coming back are saying... Basically, she's batting way above a station than the other way around. <laughs> it's a I lot. It's a lot. the case, is it? No, it's not. No, I'm pretty hanging now, to be fair. <laughs> Goody, how was your weekend, mate? Yeah, long day Saturday. So I did the, the big one, uh, Leon against Wasps for BT Sport. But it's kind of handy, actually, because we were in studio in Stratford. And then I was doing a dinner on Saturday night at Rochford 100 Rugby Club. The Rochford 100 Rugby Club, based out near Southend-on-Sea. So I went to... BT Sport, then I drove to South End, had a ice cream or three on the beach. Beach is absolutely hanging compared to Dubai, let me tell you, in South End. No, it's not really. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, and then I went to Rochford Rugby Club. Um, good people. You talk about down and dirty, nothing more dirtier than a curry that came out for us. Started off with the Poppadoms, then some onion bargies. They had a three course curry. Basically, it was a two course curry and a cheesecake at the end of it. So, was it a lockdown dog curry or not? Well, there was. There was a beef masala, which could have been Alsatian. I don't know. I didn't touch it. I just went for the chicken. You can see it's white meat. It could have been... A poodle korma. <laughs> it could have been a poodle korma. But there was an arm bread there as well, so I mopped it all up with that. But yeah, listen, it's it's great to get out into the junior rugby clubs, isn't it, and see the state of some of the people. I'm getting abused by one bloke. So I did my speech, and then we opened it up to a Q&A, and he's like, how heavy were you at your heaviest? I was like, fucking right now, son, how heavy are you? He was about three times the size of me and he's rinsing me. I'm like, come on, mate. Have a look in the mirror, son. It, it was literally like the arsehole calling the armpit hairy, even though mine wouldn't do that because I use Veet. A lot's changed, though, in the last week. But obviously in the last couple of years, 2022, there's a lot happening right now. However, you look at it, if you look left, you look right. My kids being at school, they're coming home telling me stuff that I didn't know existed, but now does exist and is allowed to exist, which is fine. But it's a big apology, Andrew, because... I've been saying stuff to you for the last few years. Well, since you were basically 16 and you lost your hair, I've been saying stuff to you that I did not realise would be taken in the way that it has been taken in some courts up and down the country. So I apologise if I ever called you bold. You, you, I mean, I don't know what to say because you were bold, so I don't know whether I can say that you used to be bold or how I contextualise <laughs> that. Have we got a HR department here? I don't know. Where, where do I send my complaint to? Because you've been calling me basically fat, bold and arrogant. Sexual harassment. Don't trivialise it. My, my feelings have been damaged. 
I'm sorry. So, I mean, I know, I know I've dominated you a few times, but I'm really sorry if you're feeling that it went too far. So, if you feel like going to HR, Harry Ronnie, as we call him, I don't know if you can say Harry in HR, then please do so. And I will have my tail between my legs, long old tail, and I'll say sorry. And if you want to take it further, then that's up to you, Andrew. But this is a heartfelt, heartfelt apology from an honest man. So not only have you told Beck that you love her this weekend and given her some big feelings and some big emotion and some big touching and all that stuff. A little touching, really, I suppose. I held a hand, Andrew. That's I held a hand, which is a lot. In public? No, that... No, <laughs> no. Is that as far as the affection goes from Jim Hamilton? Just hold your hand a little bit? I touched her on the shoulder and said, I'll have a Peroni at the bar. She said, that's the first time you've touched me all evening. <laughs> I am what I am. Uh, what can I? What can I do? You is what you is. Yeah, and then you're apologising to me for being mean to me. So you're in touch with your feelings again, James. It's nice to see. Well, I say why because I, I, I'm vulnerable at the minute. I'm having an op on Friday, so I'm. I just don't know. You just don't know, do you? You just don't know. Are you actually worried about this operation, Jim? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, of course. I'm. I'm nearly forty. Who knows what's going to happen when I go under the knife? Tell the masses what you're having done, Jim. I'm having me throat slit open and then they're pulling something oh. out. That's all I've been told. I know. <laughs> it's proper. I thought you were getting your, your tags done or your whatever you're saying at the start of the year. No, I'm going to get my tags done soon, but just not now. I just can't think. I'm seeing these horror pictures, you know, of Katie Price. I saw something on the Mail app, a really credible media platform. I saw her with no teeth. She had these things. I thought, Jesus Christ, I can't get my tags done. Because if they fall out, the kids are going to be horrified. But yeah, it's a rebuilding phase and it's been... Nearly five years since I retired, and I've just come to the realization that I need to be better. I've got to be better for my kids, and I've got to hold Beck's hand. And uh, part of that is operations. You know, I'm just throwing money at it. <laughs> well, some of the English clubs might think that they need to be better as well. None of them in any European final for the first time in almost a decade, Goody. Is this a blip or is it a new norm? Mate, the Blues are better than the Crusaders, so what? <laughs> <laughs> Why being horrible to English clubs? That Every year there's something that is talked about around the salary cap and you know where teams are at and what's the difference between a French team and an Irish team and an English team. We are playing within the parameters that we've got to play in. Now, I expected Saracens to go down to Toulon and win. I wasn't convinced that Wasps would go to Lyon and win. Both of them lost, and we haven't got any team in any final of either competition. But I, I think you know, this year it's it's a bit of a blip. Obviously, there is, there is things to talk about around the salary cap being different. Well, there's a point. That's answered it, though. Is it, I, this is... The question that Andy Rose asked, and I think we are different on it because you're a guy because you know you in this mold of tier, like you want to be a tier most, so you've got to play by the rules and abide by the laws. I'm different. I think throw throw money at it, <laughs> and we have spoken about it before. In order to compete, you've seen it in football, you see it in NBA, you see it in NFL, you see it in all the top sports, all the top sports, the team top sports, all of them. In order to be successful you got to throw money at it. And people hate me saying that. But in answer to Andy Rowe's question, something we've spoken about before, on any given day, really now, if you're an English Premiership club, you shouldn't be competing with these top teams in France. And I know the semi-final, you know, you could say that Worcester might have beat any of them teams on that day, the way that they played. But in general, now with Leinster, we've gone through the fact that they don't have a salary cap and we don't know how much they're paying players, but we know that it's a lot of money else players would then leave to go. They're not, they're just adding to it. No one leaves Leinster, no one, ever. So it shows you that it's a lucrative place to be, not only from winning stuff, but 
obviously getting paid. And we know that the French teams pay a load of money. So really, no one should beat them. Saracens are right, they're in the Challenge Cup. They could potentially, on their day, compete, as we know, even with the squad that they've got now. Who else, when you look at the Premiership, who else do you think, looking at it now and last year, because Quinn's obviously won it, who else do you think could compete with a Toulouse on their day, a Leinster on their day, a La Rochelle on their day, and, a, you know, Toulon, the way that they played in the Challenge Cup against Saris. But in terms of the player profile, there ain't any. I can't see any. I can't pick a team in the Prem and be like, yeah, I think that they could compete. It, it depends what, how, you, how you talk about it. So if you say on their day, no one can touch Leinster. When Leinster are on fire, they're an international rugby team. So I get that. So to me, Leinster are the standout team. I think Saracens, I think Exeter on their day, Harlequins on their day. Those three teams can compete with some of the other top teams in Europe. Um, you look at that semi-final on Sunday where Rassen are playing La Rochelle. It was absolute garbage, yet you've got some of the best players in the world on the field. Now, if you're telling me that some premiership teams can't compete with that the way they played that day, I, I have to disagree with you. What I am saying is, and I completely understand your point, Jim, history tells us that whoever spends the most wins the most. In most sports, as you said, Jim, and you, you can go down the list, no doubt Leinster have got the biggest wage bill in Europe right now because of the amount of players they've got. So they are favourites to win it. But sport is also cyclical, so teams come and go. You know, look at where Leinster are now, and we're talking about them in terms of being the best team in Europe right now. They haven't been to a final since God knows when. So when you're looking at it like that, it's not like they're dominating every year. It Now is their time, right? La Rochelle have got to the last two finals, so this year and last year. They've just come through. Rassin have been in and around it for ages. Rassin have spent a silly amount of money. haven't won it yet. But that's what I mean, in and, in and about it though, because you, you've you got to be in it to win it. Like you've got to be in them positions for on any given day. Yes, any given day a team can win, but I'm on about giving the opportunity to get that any given day. But is that not what normally happens in cycles of sports? So go back to the Leicester heyday. Leicester and Wasps were the best two teams in England. Leicester won... Heineken Cups, Wasps won Heineken Cups, Munster were the team. Leinster at the time were nowhere. Do you know what I mean? So sport is cyclical. What what we're saying is around the English teams, the salary cap, and it's the age-old debate. Do we let clubs spend what they want? It makes the Premiership, you know, a very topsy-turvy tournament where you'll have two teams at the top who spend the most, probably Saracens, probably Exeter, because they ain't bothered about the books. They're not bothered about making the game sustainable. And in doing that, other teams try and chase it, go bust, and then you have a six or seven team Premiership League. And that then affects the quality of the Premiership, which is a knock-on effect to England, knock-on effect to, you know, the Champions Cup and all stuff like that. So I, I, I get it. There's no right or wrong answer. There really isn't, because if you don't have a salary cap... And there is a salary cap in France. If you don't have a salary cap in, in England, clubs would go bust without a shadow of a doubt because people, you know, history tells us in professional rugby, clubs are spending more than they can afford. You saw the end of your career and the end of my career, wages went off the scale for three three years. And in doing that, clubs were, if they hadn't had that CVC money, we'd have lost three or four premiership clubs without a shadow of a doubt. But on my point, no one can complain that there's no... English clubs in any of the finals. That that's I'm looking at it based on this season and the squads that we've seen and the teams that we've seen. There ain't anyone that can compete with them more clearly as we've seen because there's no one in the finals. Well, let's talk about those French clubs that were in the La Rochelle Racing semi-final. What did you guys make of that one? A bit sloppy or what? Shocking, a bit sloppy. It was like a game being played in slow mo. It was, it was awful. I, I'm thinking, why am I wasting? My day watching this, because, because it's my job, that's why. 
really, when you say it, no team deserved to win, that sounds harsh, doesn't it? Really. And it wasn't just me who said that. I think it was Dave Flatman in the studio as well. Said the team that looks like they want to win the most or turns the pace on or just shows something will win this game. And as we know, La Rochelle in the second half, for anyone that watched it, that's exactly what they did. But in comparison to the Leinster, who were phenomenal, as we know, and we'll get onto it, and Toulouse, who were really good in parts, it was just, it was like you were watching a different game. But, you know, La Rochelle came through. And as we know, history tells us, well, last season tells us that they're a team that can upset Leinster with a physicality. And maybe it is just the fact that you've got two French teams slugging it out. And that's when we spoke to Finn last week. You know, it's kind of almost asked in that question. The games where you play against the other French teams in the top 14 and stuff like that, some of them are crap. When you watch the top 14, they really are. But as we know, when they want to turn it on, when there's something different at play, you're playing against an English club or a Leinster, an Irish team or whatever, they've got the ability to turn it on. But based on that, it was uh, a really, really poor game. And you look at La Rochelle as well. Based on that performance, they ain't beating Leinster. And I know that they dominated Leinster physically. They had big Willie, little Willie Skelton. He was the big reason why. You look at Kerbala going off, it looked like he broke his hand. Not that I'm a doctor or a physio, but... You are. Yeah, basically, basically he's broke his hand from what I saw. <laughs> uh, so he's not going to be playing as well. The big thing for me and the hope is that La Rochelle do turn up because there's no doubt about it. Quality players, but even Bottier, your mate, he comes on and I'm questioning what you would say is one of the greatest players playing the game at the minute. And I'm like, what are you doing, mate? This is ridiculous. Like, as in ridiculously bad. So French. Yeah, I, I suppose that's what you get. And one of the things I found quite weird as well was that we had a, an English ref, ref in a French game, even though it was Europe. Well, well, this is the thing on this, and I'll be really clear on that. I've said it before, if you've got two French teams, you may as well let them have a French ref and let them get on with it in that sense because they know each other so well. Tony Spreadbury, who's in charge of the European refs now, I think the mistake he made by putting Matt Carley involved, Matt Carley didn't speak enough French. Enough. Or any, yeah. And, you know, it, it's a tough environment to be in. You had Luke Pierce run the touch, who, as we've seen, referee many French teams over time. He speaks the lingo really well. How's Wayne Barnes not refereeing as well? It's a European semi final, and there's no English team in a semi final. How's Wayne Barnes, one of the best referees in the world, not got a game? Where is Barnsley? What's, has he got his feet up already or what? So the best two referees in the world at the minute, or two of the top referees in the world at the minute, are Wayne Barnes and Luke Pearce, and neither of them were given a semi-final this weekend. And I, you know that's, that's the big thing. Both of them speak French, speak it fluently. But for me, two words for you, Jim Hamilton. In Lon, or Lons, or however you say it, it was 30 degrees, summer rugby, and that's, that's what you see. <laughs> <laughs> Arguably could be right. Because that is one thing we didn't speak about, and it's easy. I mean, I'm, well, I was horrendous at the best of times, but in heat, I struggled in heat, and it looked like they were struggling in the heat. It did, but it didn't seem like the referees were sweating, so I'm basing it on that. So, come on, pull your finger out, teams. They were rubbish. I'll go back to my time at Breve, right? And you played out in Montpellier, and you've been beating this drum, Jim, beating yourself, beating the drum around summer rugby, right? You must have played in France in August... In the start of the top 14, my two first games for Breve on my very first season there, we played Toulon away in 35 degrees of heat on a Saturday afternoon. And then we played Perpignan away midweek. So we had start the French league, absolutely ridiculous. Toulon away on the coast, 35 degrees. It was 6-3 to Toulon. It was the worst game rugby ever because no one could catch or pass it. It was sweaty. I mean, I must have lost six kilos. So I was down under 110 by then. It was happy days. 
And then we play Perpignan on the Wednesday. Again, ridiculous heat. So there is something to be said around summer rugby, but not in ridiculous com- conditions like that and ridiculous temperatures. So, Jim, you need to wind your neck in about it, mate, because that's if that's the product, we need to go back to the winter. If you're basing it on that, I'll reconsider. If you're basing it on that <laughs> semi-final, I'm happy to say, make it a blizzard. What did you guys make of Toulouse in the other semi-final? Bit overwhelmed by Leinster or were they tired from the week before? Or what do you think? The train. That was it. They literally got run over. And I can't remember what I said last week or whether it stayed in the podcast that this Leinster team were comfortably, comfortably the best team in the tournament from what I've seen. And it's easy to pick things out that guys like Brian O'Driscoll and Warburton talk about on commentary around the ruck speed. But that was the number one thing the number one thing, the difference between, the, well, the two games, obviously, but Leinster, in terms of their relentless play, the physicality, uh, their skill set, you know, Ty Furlong tweeted it, as a million other people did that pass. The skill set that they've got from 1 to 15, 1 to 23, 1 to 40, how, however many's in that squad. 60. 60, 65, 70. They've got a load of coaches, got the best coaches <laughs> in the world. Not Philippe Contepomi, he's off to Argentina. Why would you do that? Madness. <laughs> it's just unplayable. I mean, it's, it's unplayable as much as you want to. And one of the other things that I picked up, which I think is unplayable as well, and again, you talk about the game evolving and everything was around New Zealand before. What what did New Zealand do? What did the All Blacks do? Because we're going to copy that to try and be as good as them. For me, it's what are Leinster doing? What are Ireland doing now? Because they are leading the charge in terms of what their forwards can do, how they get over game line, how they take the ball to the line and get it out the back, and all this zigzag shit that Sexton does with his mates at 12 and 13. That I mean, it just looks impossible to defend. I tell you what, they are so good to watch. So good. That was coming. Leinster are on a different, absolute different path to where Toulouse have been. And Johnny Sexton, 42 years of age, and he is leading the charge. Those first two tries that set the game up for Leinster, I know, obviously, Dupont scores the first try from a, a kick through, charge down from Jamison Gibson Park. What he was doing then, I've got no idea. But Johnny Sexton, just reading defences, he just sits in the pocket and they all know how to play. They all You watch every every attacker in terms of how they're playing. Their shoulders are so square to the line that it is impossible to drift off. And that's what creates little dog legs. That's what creates little matchups. When Maloney puts the ball out the back to Sexton, watch how he does it. Like he runs hard. He's not even looking where Sexton is. You know, a lot of players would look for, they'd sort of turn their shoulders and look for where they're going to pass the ball. He ain't looking at anything. He's just ripping the ball back to Sexton because he knows he's going to be there. Sexton sweeps around the corner. Arnold is there. He's like, Johnny, he's probably listened to the podcast and gone. Jim Hamilton thinks Johnny Sexton's passed it, so he ain't. He's just. He's not going to make a break. He's going to pass the ball. Oh no, Johnny Sexton, dummy. He's put a bit of just for men in his hair because he was going great. It looked a lot darker at the weekend. He's made the break and then he's looking around. He's like, "Who's going to finish this?" Because I'm 60 now. I've just added another 18 years to my life by making a line break. Picks out the right option. Josh van der Fleer scores a try. Leinster are ridiculous. And I said it the other week when I was watching them against Connacht. I think it was every player is so comfortable. Ball in hand, at the line, playing a short ball, carrying, footwork, or putting the ball out the back, which means that defences just can't get set. They don't know who to defend. And when you're guessing, like Toulouse were at times, on who to go and tackle, they've got the skill set to put the next guy through the hole. And it was just class, absolute class. Okay, Toulouse aren't the Toulouse that we've seen previously at the minute. You know, there's some. I'm hearing there's some issues behind the scenes and fallouts with coaches. Where? Who? Uh, Ugo Moller. I was going <laughs> to... You know, I heard the other week Hugo Moller's having a big row with some of the Canal Plus 
pundits and stuff like this. There's a few issues there from what I understand. And I don't know whether it's because they had so much success last year doing the double to now there's the expectation and pressure bills and all this stuff. But my God, Leinster, you can't take anything away from, from them and say that Toulouse weren't at it. Leinster were ridiculously good. One of the things the French teams need to change, and it's quite an obvious one for me, they need to get the coaches up in the box and looking down. How, how can you watch anything from the side of the pitch? Football's different because there's more space, right? And a lot of the football coaches have been players and it's all around feeling space, I think. Well, I imagine so. That's what Cantonar told me in my dream. Why is he not in the box? Why is he not looking down? He's got the laptop next to him so he can replay, so tactically he can be looking at things. Because he loves the camera. There you go. Ugo Bolle, he coached me at Breve, right? I've never seen a coach strut up and down the touchline like he did. Watch Gautier when he gets off a bus. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, mate, we're losing by 30. Why are you strutting around for? But yeah, I don't know. It's mad. The French don't like it. They don't like doing it. They love, the coaches love being part of it. You know, you've seen O'Gara fighting, near in a fight in the other week with Christophe Urios on the side of the pitch as well. They just all love it, don't they? Get involved, run it from the sideline, but... You don't see Leo Colin Brown up and down the touchline, do you? Because he just knows his boys. He'd be scaring a few folk, though, wouldn't he? He'd be scaring the ball boys. <laughs> Jim, you mentioned Ty Furlong's pass before. Let's talk a little bit more about that. Have you ever seen a pass better from a prop? I haven't, no. It doesn't have to be a prop either. Let me tell you now, it doesn't have to be a prop. I wouldn't have been able to throw that pass even in my heyday. <laughs> Hey, I'll tell you what, this bloke on Twitter, don't let him hear you saying that because he's going mad because he's like, everyone should be able to pass like that. Everyone should be able to pass. All right, mate. Okay, he might be right, actually. He might be right. One of the big things for me, I played down in New Zealand when I was a young lad in 2005. And it's quite an obvious statement, right? And people will be listening to this and they'll be thinking, it's a ridiculous statement. When I was there, the skill set to a man, to a boy, to a young lad was like something I'd never seen. And in terms of what I mean by that was their catch and pass, was their ability from 1 to 15, whoever was on the bench and their family and their mums and dads and the dogs as well, that could literally pass off both hands, just did it, right? And also tackling. They could all chop tackle, just literally chop, chop, chop. The two basic skills you need of rugby, right? So chop tackle and passing a rugby ball. They're the two things, which sounds ridiculous, but if you look at teams over the last few years there's teams that can't do that there's teams I've been in teams I couldn't do it I could not pass mate you ran a hell of a decoy line though uh, but then it came off me head which actually isn't a knock-on and I'm fuming that that was given as a knock-on a few times it shouldn't be but Sarri's changed the mold a little bit and I remember there was a game against Toulon over there where Mako and George Cruz were whipping these passes out and I was a decoy runner but Ireland are the one now, which have obviously been looking at New Zealand like we all have in terms of their skills. And they've managed to add a different layer onto that. And I'm coming back to my point with Furlong. As much as we all think that everyone should be able to pass like that, it's not easy. And you, you look, I mean, Jolly Sexton's one. Obviously, Finn Russell's another. Ty Furlong, he's another that can do it. It was a ridiculous pass. And that is the point around the skill set, around that you can put anyone in that position from Leinster, maybe not anyone to do that pass, but anyone at the line to be able to do the skills in around the contact area or take contact, that is the point of difference. And I tweeted about Ross Maloney as well, this young second row. It's all been around James Ryan, hasn't it? It's been about Ryan Beard. He ain't that young, though. How old is he? 28. Oh, that's, mate, it's 10 years younger than me. That's bloody young. But this is the thing. So I looked into him like, geez, he's some hell of a player. Thinking he was a youngster. 
Fan 8 is 28. He hasn't started a Heineken Cup game for five years. And it goes back to your point, Jim. No one leaves Leinster. I'm like, imagine a player that good not getting a Heineken Cup game for five years. You're gone somewhere else, aren't you? You're leaving and you'll go into a French club. Not if you paid half a mil. Well, <laughs> there we go. There we go. He's, I mean, a hell of a player, a hell of a performance. And actually, when you talk about skill level, how he's taking the ball to the line and producing the skills that he's doing while running that speed, either playing short ball, carrying, and making those decisions in split seconds at the line or putting the ball out the back to Sexton or Ringrose or Henshaw, or whoever's on that little loop play. It's just, you know, a different breed of rugby player now. Well, we can get probably a little bit more of an insight into that Leinster skill set and how they develop it now. We're going to have a chat now with former Leinster hooker and European Cup winner back in 2009. Bernard Jackman joins us. How are you, mate? Yeah, all good, lads. Very happy after Leinster's win. I bet you were, Bernard. We were just talking before you came on around how any team can compete with a Leinster or a top 14 team, a team in which you've played for, but also coached in the top 14 as well. Are you sitting on billions of pounds now because that's how much you were paid as a Leinster player? <laughs> <laughs> I wish. I wish. No, I'm, I'm, I'm having to work for a living. I think Leo Cullen's the man who, who should be sitting on millions of pounds. In fairness, his um, his legacy, and I know it's not over, is incredible. If, if they win next week, he'll have won five uh, five European Cups, which is, is phenomenal. And his... His DNA, and you know him, uh, you both know him, he's just so steady. You know, he never gets flustered. And when you're dealing with so many internationals, there's not really a lot of egos, but there is a lot of egos. Uh, he he manages them really well. And uh, the way he was as a player, you know, he, he wasn't always away with Ireland. So he knows what it's like to be the kind of the journeyman who has to step aside when the internationals come back. So I think he's got a huge amount of, um, he deserves a huge amount of credit. And then also the way he brought Stuart Lancaster in and let him coach was phenomenal. So you've got two brilliant, brilliant guys uh, driving us and then um, the players aren't bad either. Yeah, certainly are. I, we'll, we'll get into the crux of the players in, in a minute, but just talking about the game, let's go back to the game first yeah. and, and talking about how they monstered to lose. Did you see it being that comfortable? Because it really was a comfy day at the office, wasn't it? It was like a URC game where you expect Leinster to rock up and win. Most games at the Aviva go that way for Leinster, don't they? Yeah, they do. And look, I like I like my horses. Unfortunately, I'm not that good at them. But uh, if, you, if you're a horse racing fan, you would say, you know, Toulouse beat Ulster by a point. They went extra time against Munster. And realistically, Leinster are 10 or 12 points better than both those. But yeah, you, you saw the quality Toulouse had and you just think they're the champions semi-final. It's going to be close. But that two-week break that Leinster gave those players when they sent the, the squad to South Africa, I think that was brilliant. I mean, they've just come out of the blocks against Leicester really fast. Pretty much had that game one at halftime, 20 nil up. And likewise against Toulouse, even though they conceded the first try, I mean, Toulouse would have been wondering what the hell was in front of them. Just were so accurate until Gibson Park tried that kick through. And then they just didn't, didn't bat an eyelid, just went back at him again and just were, were ruthless. So, no, I didn't think Toulouse. I thought Toulouse would be better. But having said that, I think you look at Toulouse this year, they're trying to understand how to manage having 10 players away. The top 14 this year is ridiculously tough. I mean, Toulouse, Racing, La Rochelle are all fighting to still make top six. There's been no chance to get a take a breath. And Bernard, why are Leinster so good at the minute? And put your coach's hat on, but also, again, by the way, loving your social media, the little clips that you're putting up around the nuances of the game. What are you picking up? Because a superficial place where I put stuff on social media to try and get a few likes or whatever is around individual players, around them taking the ball to the line. I know that me and you interacted on social media, but can you give, give us a snapshot of how they've become so good? Which feels like overnight. Yeah, it feels like overnight. But realistically, and this is the challenge, like Leinster have been going into the last three European Cup campaigns 
look at a million dollars. And that's the best performance they've put on a European stage for a long time. But they got caught by Saracens. A Saracens team that were playing the championship because mainly around scrum. And that was the, their entry point of the game. La Rochelle last year away, they got caught by power. But they do look to have taken it to a different level. And I think it's it's the detail around their attacking game. It's Gibson Park now looking like he's in the top three nines in the world. Whereas three years ago, he was fighting it out with Luke McGrath. Sexton is imperious. But it's their speed of ball. And Ireland and Leinster's rook ball was very good under Joe Schmidt. So for... For seven or eight years, Ireland and Leinster have been very focused on the rook technique breakdown. But now their attacking shape is giving them softer shoulders and their rook is, is still very, very effective, very aggressive. You know, you look back at that game in, uh, in detail, there's a lot of Leinster clearouts which are bordering on illegal. But because everybody's doing it at the same time and the ball is gone, referees don't really, they're, they're just happy the ball is still going. So their, their breakdown technique for a team who aren't that big is, is violent. It's violent. They get the right bodies to the ball, but also because their attacking shape is good, they're not getting hit by two men and they're getting those little soft shoulders. So then their kicking game, I mean, no one talks about their kicking game, but their kicking game and, and, uh, is phenomenal. And, and they vary that in both halves. So first half, kicked long a lot, kept it on the field. Toulouse kicked it back to them on the field and then they just break into counterattack. And then the second half, they put in kind of more contestable, shorter kicks and they're just very accurate. And, and you know, the biggest thing they have over everyone else is their second team. If their second team were in the URC, I think they could be to be top six, right? So when they train on a Tuesday or Tuesdays, I mean, they're getting tested by uh, another team. Whereas most teams, let's be honest, they only really find out on Saturday if they're what they're what they're doing is working or not. So they probably have the advantage of of having more competitive trainings than most teams. Well, Jim mentioned you with a coach's hat on there. My God, you should be coaching still, mate. Look, the detail that you've got in there is is phenomenal. It, <laughs> mate, I tried that. I tried that, but I got sacked twice, so I'm not going back to Perth. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Bernard, let's put it out there, though, mate. You were at the Dragons, so it doesn't matter who they bring in. It wasn't the first, it won't be the last, but um, no, it's, uh, all good, all good. I'm, I'm happy selling IT advice, mate. Yeah, nice. Uh, one of the players I want to talk to you about, and we, we spoke about him just recently on... Uh, on the pod is Ross Maloney. Like you talk about the ball skills and, and the level that players are taking it to, just how square his shoulders are at the line. Who is responsible for all that in in coaching? Is it Stuart Lancaster? Is it Philippe Competence Pomi? Because we play, I play, I play with Jim. Jim couldn't catch or pass. Now you're looking at a second row, Ross Maloney, who is just tearing up trees in terms of being able to pull the ball out the back, not even looking where Sexton is. It is a ridiculous skill, right? Yeah, it's a ridiculous skill. And, and I mean, they just have players who can do it across, across the board. And I mean, people talk about Furlong's pass. All, all of their forwards are multi-skilled. They do a lot of 15 v 15, which everyone does. But, you know, they're very hard. They're very hard in how they review. There's big pressure on players to, to develop. And as you said, the way Leinster play with that three men off nine and two men off 10, I mean, you need somebody who's very comfortable, who can stay square and then pull it back or play the tip on at the right moment or, or carry. And I mean, I think we've seen it over the last year, but that was that was at the, on the big stage. And he's been in a few Irish squads, but has never got capped. He's EQP, actually. Is he? We'll, we'll have him. <laughs> no, I know. Um, <laughs> Baxter saw something in him when maybe people in Ireland didn't and was, was interested, which is a good sign. But yeah, I think he'll get capped for Ireland this uh, this summer. And yeah, he's 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 waiting. He's been patient, as most Leinster players do. They don't. They very rarely go looking elsewhere unless they really can't get game time. But now he hopefully he'll get a chance to to play in a final and maybe win one. You're talking about the skill set of the players. Everyone's talking about them. How well coached uh, Leinster are. And there's a few whispers now. I don't know where they've started. I don't know where they'll finish around Lancaster potentially going back and getting the England job. I don't think he should. I think that that ship's 
pass for him, but who am I to say? What do you reckon? Like we're talking about what he's done at Leinster, it seems to be phenomenal and anyone you speak yeah. to. Look, I think unless he wants to go back into international, will he get an international job if he wants one? Absolutely. Will he get the right job? So what's the right job at the moment? It's probably in, in the Northern Hemisphere, it's, it's France, England or Ireland. In terms of having the cattle to to be able to win things just at the moment, the way, you know, Wales and Scotland are a little bit off and obviously Italy have a long way behind. So could he go back to England? Maybe he wants to, to scratch that itch and, and, and prove that he could do it. I don't think it's a better club club job in, in Europe than the Leinster. I know Rassing are talking to Eddie Jones, Matt Rassing might pay a bit, they probably pay a lot more, but in terms of going to work every day, having 40 players who will hang off every word, having a really good culture, um, having good people to work with, having stability at the board level. Like Leinster's CEO is changing this this summer. He's been a, the CEO there since professionalism started. You know, you not you don't get that consistency uh, many other places. So, but obviously he's not home. He's living in Ireland. His home is England. So I don't know, but I, I think it'd have to be a, a job that he really wants to prove a point in or that he can go and be competitive at European level again because you're pretty much guaranteed to be competitive at European level in Leinster, even when they're on a bit of a downward cycle. Yeah, definitely. Two things I want to pick up on there. Firstly, you said around players don't leave Leinster. They stay loyal. They, they, they don't go looking for elsewhere. Secondly, you said when you go to work every day and that you're coaching 40 players, he ain't coaching 40 players. There's about 700 players at Leinster, yeah, isn't there? Sorry, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're only lets 40 in the building at any time. That, that, that's the, yeah. He only wants... He only wants he, honestly, he, it's, it's actually... There's a competition within a competition there to be allowed to train on a Tuesday. I swear to God, and that sounds corny and stuff, but when the internationals are back, some people don't get to be part of that Tuesday session. So you can imagine, like, there's not many clubs where that's the state. You know, normally once you get to become a pro or you're the top end of your academy, you're pretty much guaranteed to be training with the seniors. But there's actually competition to get onto the field. Yeah, you avoid a Tuesday session if yeah. at most clubs. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah, I know, I've been there. And what about how much these lads are getting paid? Not numbers, but you having been a coach, yeah. been over in France, and it's the big question mark. We had Martin and I on the podcast, and I asked him outright. I was like, how, how much is the salary cap in the URC? What's Leinster's salary cap? And he said, there ain't one. No. Now, it's almost a quiet rumour out there, that, isn't it, that the IRFU can kind of pay what they want. Have you got any insight? Would you be able to share an insight into that? Okay, I think, to be honest, I don't know what it is, because the way the RFU did their books, it's very hard to work out what each province gets. But I... I I've no doubt it's bigger than any of the French clubs. You know what I mean? Uh, and and probably two or three million more. Because they've, my understanding of it is, is that they actually are sticking to the salary cap now, um, which they weren't, you know, four or five years ago. There was a lot of close breaking. And so I think the fact that Leinster don't have a salary cap is, is a big help to Leinster. But, you know, the, my counter argument to that is, look, at they're quite good at getting, getting big crowds in. They're quite good at getting good sponsorship, you know, and they are producing a lot of players for Ireland. And a lot of them are homegrown. So it's not really... Again, I'm biased. I'm from Leinster, you know. But uh, I think I think if you make a salary cap for, for, for the URC, it's going to be very hard to enforce. And you're just basically risking teams like Leinster, who've, who've developed a lot of homegrown players, losing to Japan or, or losing to, you know, an English club to be a marquee player for a couple of years. So, you know, I, I you know, and, and this argument came from, from Wales, actually, that there should be a, a... I saw someone, David Butchers, who I respect a lot, the Dragons chairman, he said it should be a salary cap for the URC, but... I just think that's allowing clubs who don't harness the, the commercial side of things just compete. You know what I mean? Like professional sport is about survival of the fittest. It should be, you know, everyone trying to get money on, money into the team and also the players. I mean, if you have a salary cap, it affects players, you know, chances of making a, a good living. So I do think they're breaking it and it is an unfair advantage, but I think that they deserve to have the right to pay the players what they want. 
When you say breaking it, what, what do you mean breaking it? Sorry, I mean, there is no salary cap in Ireland, but I mean, sorry, what they spend exceeds the salary cap in France, which is obviously exceeds yeah, the salary okay. cap in the Premiership. And, you know, and we know that there's no salary cap in Scotland or Wales, but it's just they don't have enough money to, to be at the salary cap levels. That's what I mean. Sorry, there's no salary cap, but they exceed the spend of the French clubs. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the things I want to ask you that obviously Leinster are super successful, right? And there are rumours, you're a Dublin man, there are rumours when you go to Munster or you go to uh, Connacht or you go to Belfast that the RFU don't support those three other provinces as much as they support Leinster. Is that a fair comment? Is it something that is just because at the time, the success of Leinster, it's an easy thing to say? Yeah, no, I don't. I actually don't think that's, that's, that's true. I think the RFU have actually trying to push players to leave Leinster to go play for the others to strengthen them and it's very transparent because now I'm not I'm not open to it but if you have a central contract that's how Leinster Leinster have so many centrally contracted players that's where they get the added advantage and more support from the RFU so you know the challenge for Munster and Ulster and Connacht is to to get more centrally contracted players and then well it's a chicken and leg you know if you're not getting the best young talent in you know unless our Leinster aren't keeping them happy how are you going to get the best talent who can become centrally contracted players? So it's very difficult. And Munster look to have turned a corner. They've, they've got some really good young players that are starting to play now. But to be honest, unfortunately, the other provinces have been living off Leinster, ex-Leinster Academy players who weren't quite first choice. And then again, as I said, unless the Leinster coaching is really bad or the other coaches are so much better, how are you going to turn that guy who wasn't good enough to play for Leinster into a centrally contracted player? You know, it's, it's difficult. So that's the issue. That's the support. I, I think until the others get a crop of players who can become centrally contracted and then use their rest of their budget for other players, it's going to be difficult. Yeah, and the talk of uh, Contopomi is going back to Argentina. That's just been released this week. Any rumours of who's coming in? There'll be a queue of people, probably including yourself, to do the backs as well, eh? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll tell you, the, the, my repertoire for backs plays will be 12 up the middle. Um, I'd play for you. Oh, yeah, nice, nice goody. Just give it to me. Give it to me. <laughs> I watch me get smashed. No, I, I don't know what's going to happen because there's, a, there's another role there as well. Dennis Leamy was their collision coach. He's going back to Munster. So there's, there's, there's rumours that, you know, an ex-player who's over in London Irish might come back for that. And then obviously Stuart does both really, to be honest. He does like he does the attack and the defence, but Felipe was doing the backline strike attacks. So I don't know. I don't know who would be available. They obviously, Mike Prendergast just came back from Racing, but he's a Munster man. Noel McNamara is a Leinster head of academy who's down in the Sharks now. Could they tempt him back? Look at I think to work under Stuart and to work with Sexton and Ring Rose and those guys, I mean, it'd be highly sought after. But uh, no, it's, it's, it's too soon for, for real rumours to develop. Well, you heard it here first. Sean O'Brien is going to be coaching in Leinster next year, isn't he? So. <laughs> That's a talk, isn't it? <laughs> uh, let's talk about the final then, because obviously last year in the semi, La Rochelle took Leinster to the cleaners a bit physically, and that was kind of a, a massive ch- turning point, wasn't it? We, we spoke about it earlier on the podcast around you know, the physical dominance that La Rochelle showed. I can't see how that's going to be the case in the final again. Are you thinking that it's not going to be straightforward, but that this Leinster team's gone on a, a huge step since that defeat last year, hasn't they? Yeah, they have. And, and like the worry was, I think, going into into Saturday against Toulouse, if our, if Leinster had a loss or really struggled and, and barely won, there's a big fear in Irish rugby that, okay, we want to play fast, but when we come up against a team like France, who have that power, like Toulouse, who have that power, like La Rochelle did to us, like Saracens did to us, that we would come unstuck. So I think that was really important to Leinster were able to put Toulouse away. I look back at that La Rochelle semi-final and Toulouse, or La Rochelle don't have Will Skelton, so he's out for the season and he, he was massive that day. But Leinster that day played without Gibson Park or Sexton, in, uh, both injured, not the 23. Andrew Porter was tight head, so he was on the bench. 
and Keller and Sheen weren't involved. So, you know, they were uh, worse off there. And Caelan Doris was out with a concussion. So personnel-wise, Leinster looked to be better. And those halfbacks are key because, you know, they, they make sure you're playing the right areas. They make sure you're playing with the right tempo. The worry I would have, Goody and Jim, is, is tight head prop. I mean, the furlong is injured. You know, the Dyrish scrum would do a job on us there. But again, when you look at it, Leinster makes safe, so few handling errors that the opposition don't generally get more than five or six scrum put-ins. And Leinster are smart enough on their own ball. So will that be... And also, maybe La Rochelle won't be able to goal kick the penalties they win because they're struggling, <laughs> they're struggling a bit at that at the moment as well. So I think Roger's got a big call to make whether he sticks with West as a 10 or whether he goes for Pierre Popelin, uh, who's a better kicker. And also, I think... Look, La Rochelle would be, would be better than Toulouse because they'll have seen what Leinster do. La Rochelle are better to break down. La Rochelle have that power up the middle with Dante or, or Bottia. So... Whereas, you know, I think Toulouse are very lateral in the back line and very deep, whereas I think Roger engaged Leinster a little bit more. So I don't think it'll be a, um, as, as one-sided, but it is really hard to see Leinster not going to finish it now. Before you go, Bernard, Matt, I've got to ask you again. Why are you not coaching? Let's not go, go based on the Dragons, right? Because yeah. even if you're Warren Gatland, the likelihood is they're finishing near the bottom, even with him. But with Grenoble and maybe give us some stories about what happened there because we're listening to you. And again, I'm not just pumping up your tyres. You might want them deflated slightly. I'm not too sure. But the stuff that you put out there and the way that you speak, you obviously know the game inside out, right? So that is yeah. an obvious thing. Why would you not want to get back into coaching? Was it that bad when you were at Grenoble or what? <laughs> no, no, Grenoble. Grenoble, we had, we, had, we had four really good years at Grenoble. And then, we, um, then it just went pear-shaped. And, and that happens in France. Um, so we, I was very lucky and I loved the I loved the game, but I kind of have the best of both worlds at the moment in that. So my daughter's 15, my son is 13. They're in, in, in secondary school in Ireland. I've got a good job, career job, which kind of doing okay. And I go to matches weekends with Premier or RT and, and, and talk about it. So... I'll tell you what I'll tell you what happened. I went so two years or when I was coaching Dragons, I came to Dublin. We lost fifty points to fifteen, right? Which is good. That's good. That is a that's a win, mate. <laughs> My son was the ball boy. Um, you know, it was just it was embarrassing, and it stayed with me for about a month. After I got sacked, I went back and did a match for Premier Cocom. Same match, Leinster Dragons, Leinster beat them, whatever, 45, 50 points. I put down my headphones. I hopped in my car. It was Dean Ryan's problem. You know what I mean? And that's the that's the reality. So coaching is brilliant if you can get the right team. But I, I think for me at the moment, st- uh, stability for, for my family, trying to prove I can do something else. But I, look, I, I still love it. I absolutely love it. And, I, and I, I would love to get back into the game at some stage. But And I coach a club called Beckett, which is a local club, and I get my buzz out at. So I'm, I'm, I'm actually probably more in the game now than I was, but uh, not doing it for a, a full-time job. Bernard, thank you very much for coming on, mate. It's been class to hear your analysis and insight and uh, keep tweeting as well. Oh, yeah. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Bernard, thanks, mate. Really, really good. Cheers, Bernard. Thanks, mate. Top bloke. Top bloke. Yeah, he really is. So good. Could listen to him speak. Yeah, I've done a bit of work with him outside of rugby in terms of a couple of corporate gigs and um, something else as well we did together. He's such a lovely guy. My God, does he know his onions. Not many people do. And again, it is easier, Goody, as we know, to talk about it and judge or whatever. Like, I genuinely listened to him and he's reeling off La Rochelle's, who they had last time. And we know that Will Skelton's injured and we kind of mentioned that, but who Leinster didn't have. Like, them kind of intricacies and the stuff that I mentioned around the breakdown. Like, there's a level and then there's his level. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whether or not that marries up to a level above, that's up to him if he wants to coach, but could listen to him all day. Yeah, that's what makes him an unbelievable pundit though because he knows so much detail around it and he's really good at his job, lovely bloke, 
but you speak to it's, it's only, one of your best mates is a coach, right? And one of your best mates is a team manager. Jordan Murphy was one of my best mates. He was a coach. When you chat to those boys when they're in the job, and then when we rock up on match day and just do a bit of media or do some comms or whatever, Jordan Murphy used to say to me, I hate it when you come to Leicester. I'm like, why? Thanks, mate. I'm you know, looking forward to seeing it. He's like, because you come, you have a laugh. You're so relaxed. You try and have a laugh with me. He goes, I'm so stressed. My hair's falling out. You know, it's a horrible job sometimes, coach, isn't it? And that's what he's, Bernard said then. Like, imagine him going back to Dublin as the head coach of the Dragons and beating Leinster by only having 50 put on them. That's as good as a win for the Dragons. But then he says it a year later, Dean Ryan, it's his responsibility when they had 70 put on them. It's, you know, and I get it. People say to me, I was at dinner on Saturday. People go, well, you know, do you want, you should be in the game. You should be coaching all the knowledge. I'm like, no, I don't want that stress, boys. No one said that to me. No one's ever said that to me. <laughs> I have. You should be the line-out guru at Saracens because their line-out is garbage. Oh, it is, yeah. I tell you what, I would like, and I have thought this, and I've not told Beck yet, so I'll speak quietly, but I would like at some point, you know, like a New York or you see the lads over in LA, like the MLR, like or maybe Texas or something, like something like that kind of level. For how long? I don't know, just for six weeks? Just, just four months. <laughs> just <laughs> No, I love them. Love Bernard Chapman. Yeah, Bernard's a great bloke. Well, let's have a look at the Challenge Cup then. Goody, you were in studio for Wasps' defeat at Leon. They came close though, didn't they? Uh, they did. And they actually, looking back at the game, they controlled large parts of it. But just their error rate was too big and big errors as well. You know, the difference in that game was Wasps made a load of errors uh, at key times. Simple, unforced errors as well. Leon... Won the, the kick battle. They were putting up spiral bombs, which, you know, obviously the Wasp boys found difficult to deal with. And ultimately, Leon were just a little bit more clinical. It was a poor game of rugby, right? 30-odd degrees. Poor Dan Robson, right? Get the old factor 50 on the head. Yeah, you, 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 can't, make, you can't make stuff around them <laughs> losing their hair now. They might not like it. Wasp will be frustrated themselves. So Leon scored a wonder try. Bordeaux at fly half, uh, you know, counter-attack try from a quick line out and you could see that was all about the heat so you saw some of the wasp defenders trying to get back and you can see i, I think back to pre-season training you know when you think you're running as hard as you can in those down up drills and you know you're doing the malcolms or whatever we used to do in fitness gym and you think you're running really quick or trying to run really quick and then you watch it back on video and you were literally treading water that's how the wasps defenders looked when they were chasing back at times because it was so hot not through lack of effort just through never playing in 30 degree heat for however many years so but Leon were more clinical you know Tua Sova was good Joel Kapoku played pretty well uh, gave you a shout out on BT Sport Jim do you see that? No I didn't know what did you say? Well post match we, we were talking about Joel Kapoku and basically I was like you got to remember he's come from Saracen stock you know where he's had Maratoji sort of showing him the way and, and being the example and I said and Jim Hamilton as well he, he told me to say this, but he, he was a big influence on his career as well. So I got that in there, Jim. Thanks, mate. But it's true. I coached him. I coached him in the academy. Yeah. I could see your coach elements coming out in him as well. Well, it was the media interview. That was basically him talking as if he's me. Well, it was the blow bags, the fake fake tough guy stuff. That was the pushing. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that was you. They were cl- more clinical than Wasps. Wasps would be, looking back at that game, would be really frustrated with themselves. Because of the errors, but yeah, Leon. And when you got Tua Sova in your team, I'm looking at Tua Sova's calves. They're bigger than most players' quads. Ridiculous. Try tackling that. You can't because he gets paid probably 600 grand a year, Andrew. So, Jim, what happened to Saracens, mate? Oh, a lot. They got hammered in large parts of that game. 
Toulon, fair play. I don't know how they're doing in the top 14 in terms of their performances, but I thought they were brilliant. I thought Toulon were brilliant at home, the energy that they brought, and they looked so comfortable in the chaos. The game was chaotic, right? Balls in the air, the breakdown, the speed of the ruck, the penalties, uh, the transition plays, the lineouts were scrappy, the scrums were, were scrappy. Toulon just looked more comfortable in the chaos. That's what I took from that game. They took risks as well. They took risks against Saracen's defence, which we know is very good with the offloading. To a man, I thought they were brilliant. Uh, Tolafua, a hooker, former Saracen's man, I thought he was excellent. Ebenezer was man of the match for me. I thought he was brilliant, his try-saving tackle. Look at you. I know. I, I know. I, I, <laughs> hey, we're good friends now, so you've got to talk up your mates, haven't you? Dupree, Cornell Dupree, former Worcester man, who had a nasty injury. It's great to see him back playing, was physical. Parise albeit probably not his best game. He's 38 years old, but he just knows what to do, doesn't he? He just knows his way around the pitch. And I, I just think, not to a man, but I just think collectively they enjoyed the chaos. And it was a kind of, not a rude awakening for Saracens. Their scrum didn't function. Mako had been injured for a while. His first came back in. The line-out I thought was shocking at times, but Toulon with Olivon and, and Etzebeth in there are very good. It didn't feel like a Challenge Cup game. No disrespect to that tournament. It felt like a Champions Cup game compared to what we saw. What have been horrible about the game on Sunday, but big rats for Toulon. I thought they were brilliant. You talk about why being horrible. I, I need to say a couple of things. Saracens were rattled, weren't they? You talk about the physical. They lost a physical battle. Etzebeth won that battle against Maratoji. Billy Vanapola had a quiet game. You know, Olivon dominated in, in that area, as did Sergio Parise. Villiers, let me just tell you, what is a winger in and around every breakdown for turn the ball over because he's unbelievable at it. Like, you, you're looking at where he was getting his turnovers. Get on your wing, son. That's, you know, if I was playing with I'd be like, what's he doing in there? Oh, that's what he's doing. He's winning penalties for us galore. They were phenomenal. But I do need to say, Owen Farrell, when his head goes, he loses it with the ref, he shouts at his players, and it clearly happened on Saturday night. You know, he was rowing with Andrew Brace. I'm surprised Andrew Brace didn't say more to him. Uh, and basically penalise him or yellow card him or something because you could hear it on the on the mic. Well, he said, didn't he, he was going to change the captain. That's what he said. I mean, that's how bad it was. That And again, you've got to remember the referees, Andrew, as we know, the referees know that us on TV and the guys in commentary can hear every word that he says. Yeah. So you hear him say, that's Owen, I'll change the captain. So that's out there in the public domain. It's not a quiet word between captain and referee. Yeah, he said, you either work with me or I change the captain. Now, if you're leader, and everyone talks about Owen Farrell as you know, an unbelievable leader, the guy that you know really sets the tone over him. If he's losing his head and rowing with the referee, what do you think all the other players are looking at? They're all looking around going, well, you know, he's lost his head. Let's lose our heads. You know, we're going off piste in terms of how we play, what we do. Lost the physical battle. And, you know, some people are saying, oh, it's because Saracen's had a year out in the championship and they weren't battle-hardened at that level. Well... I think there's a massive responsibility internally for themselves to look at themselves. And Owen Farrell's got to lead that. You know, he he was he did the interview afterwards and said, we've got to be better at some things and you've got to be better as a leader, mate, and not lose your head. And, you know, that set the tone for the team. They were rattled physically and, you know, Toulon and the crowd played off that and, you know, fully deserved the victory. So I'm sure Saracens will bounce back and probably go on and, and get to the Prem final and we'll see then whether they beat Quinns and Leicester or whoever gets there but you know they've got some big questions to answer about their own kind of attitude in games when it's not going for them and I know Farrell's the leader of that I think. Have you guys ever been in a team 
where your captain's almost been changed because they've lost their head. Jim, you've been vice-captain for many a team. Surely you've lost your head a few times. And I played at Saracens with Owen. No, I'm joking. He wasn't captain. It was Brad Barrett then. I've been in a team where I thought someone's captain and my goodness me, how are they captain? But I'm going to keep that to myself. Who, 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 who? No, I'm not. No, I'll tell you, I'll tell you off air. Scotland? No, comment. I'm not saying <laughs> It's not fair that I say that. There's nothing worse. My point is there's nothing worse and there's nothing better. And I'm going to say it both ways. When Brad Barrett was captain at Saracens, like it was undeniable, right? Like undeniable from everything, from training, from the game, from the way he spoke, from the way that he conducted himself off the pitch, how he was with the people, the players, the management. Like it was undeniable. Like you wouldn't even be thinking, oh, I'm unsure here. You would follow that man to wherever. And again, I know it's not war, but that's how it felt sometimes in terms of where you put your body. And then on the flip side, I'm not going to say who, you'd, you'd be in a huddle with some captors and you'd be like, like you wouldn't know whether you wouldn't know where to look. You didn't know where to look up. You didn't know where to look down. You're getting nudged left, right and centre by the other lads thinking, what the hell's going on here? What was he doing? He's saying stuff that he ain't going to be doing himself. Owen, Owen used to say this, did he? No, Owen didn't. No, Owen, <laughs> Owen, hey, Owen would back a lot of it up. But that is the big thing. I think captaincy is so important, isn't it? And it's, it's got to be everything. It, the respect thing, and it goes back to what Goody says with Faz and the referee. The respect thing, it's not just the respect with the referees. It's the respect from every single person in that team. And clearly, you look at someone like Alan Wynne-Jones, not saying that he should call it a day, but the respect that he's had... And the respect that he has, the same with Sexton as well. The same with guys like Richie McCaw. Like, it's them guys where it's undeniable. Yeah, I, I, don't know what, I don't know what the lads are thinking when I was captain, but I didn't say anything like, you know, you can't mess around, you can't have a joke. My thing was always about the game. And in hindsight, I should have been different. I could have been more, but it wasn't me. You know, I was captain and I demanded physicality and that if we played in the jersey that we played in, you give give everything. You're getting fired up here. Don't cry, Andy Rowe. Don't cry. <laughs> I'm, I'm just laughing at you. <laughs> you. You demanding physicality. Well, you heard me. When I was in the Gloucester changing room when we did the charity game for Jack Adams last year and I gave that team, the Gloucester team, a team talk when they had Bristol, like you said you nearly fainted because you were that fired up. That's what you said. Everyone to a man walked out of that changing room Laughing. <laughs> I don't know how many change rooms, Andy Rowe, that you've been in. I don't think there's been many professional change rooms that you've been in, but they were crying. There's a big difference. Did you, um, as skips, Jim, did you ever demand discipline from your teammates? I used to demand standards. And if standards were on the pitch in terms of the way that we conducted ourselves, and if one of them things was discipline, then that was it. I was actually, as captain... Well, like I say, I got sent off as captain, but that was for a fight. <laughs> that was for a fight. That's different. It's not. It is different because I think about that day, my first day as captain of Gloucester, if I would have changed anything, and I, w I was ruling the roost. I was the, the captain. If your captain's getting pushed about and he ain't sending an uppercut through, I ain't respecting him. <laughs> like, if I walked off that day, if I walked off that game having not filled in David Pace, I would have said to my team and my management, I ain't worthy to be captain of Gloucester. Like that, that is not what a Gloucester captain does. But the fact that I nearly murdered the bloke, actually, I was like, no, that's what the captain of Gloucester should do. And how long did you stay at Gloucester for after that? The next year, because I got headhunted to go to France. So. 
Loyalty was never used, Andrew. <laughs> Loyalty was never used in my team talks because, my goodness me, you would have been having a piss in the corner if, you, if I was talking to you as well. Right, let's finish things off then with the good, the bad and the ugly. Yeah, let's do that. We're going to start off with the good. We're going to start off with some French rugby. Um, I nearly gave it to French rugby in general last week, but then I saw Jim's face and he said, you can't. And I said, no, okay. So we didn't give French rugby the good, but we're going to start off in France and down in Toulon. Gabin Villiers was absolutely ridiculous for Toulon the weekend. Nine carries, 92 metres gained, five defenders beaten, a couple of tries. We'll call it 10 turnovers because it looked like 10 turnovers for him. He was at every breakdown. Ridiculously good. Staying in France as well. The influence of Jim Hamilton came to the fore. Joel Kapoku. Yeah, I'll take it. Yeah, you coached him apparently. You coached him all the blowback stuff, but he was really good for Leon. He got man of the match. And Leon, get a mention of the good, their first major final since 1933. 1933. And the funny thing about Joel Kapoku's interview at the end is like, we've been waiting for that for ages. He's been there six weeks. exactly that was the thing hey that's my Joel hey that's my boy hey we it's always we (laughs) yeah Uh, that was pretty special for Leon sticking with France and we'll go up to La Rochelle wasn't a great game but an individual certainly needs to get a mention Gregory Aldrit who is Aldrit he was getting banged as well though he was getting banged in the collisions and he still came out on top he was getting banged in the collisions but listen to this he made 11 tackles let's park the tackles of those collisions when he's carrying the ball, he had 19 carries in a game, which is huge numbers, huge numbers. And he got smoked sometimes, but he still made 101 metres from those 19 carries, Jim. <laughs> like, and he got banged. He got banged, did he? And he beat nine defenders as well. So you talk about stats, he just got banged, didn't he, Jim? No, he didn't. He got banged a couple of times, but a lot of the time he was making metres and beating defenders. So uh, hell of an effort from him, scored a try as well. And La Rochelle will get a mention, not for the performance, but just by the fact that they've got two back-to-back Champions Cup finals. People do say it takes a couple of losses to get the victory, so maybe this will be their year. It takes two to tango. Is it? Oh, two mm. to tango. Is that what it is? Yeah. 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 We're going to go down to New Zealand for a bit of good as well, Andy Rowe. Oh, great. Where, where do you think we're going with this one? The Crusaders win over the Brumbies. No, we're not. Uh, we're going to go with the Blues. Your, your team, Andy Rowe, the Blues. Not my team. They beat the Reds 53 points to 26. That's 11 out of 12 victories in this season's Super Rugby competition. They're the best team in New Zealand at the minute. And it's the best Blues team since 2003 when they won the Super Rugby competition back then. So, uh, mm. yeah, the Blues get a mention in the good this week. Hell of a team. Come on, the Blues. What else was good? Tyg Furlong's pass was absolutely ridiculous. And sticking with Leinster, Ross Maloney. Jim said he should have got man of the match. Uh, he didn't, but he made 14 tackles. He won six lineouts and stole another one. So a hell of a performance by Ross Maloney. Johnny Sexton gets a mention in the good, as does Jamison Gibson-Park. They were pretty special as a halfback partnership. Jim Hamilton, you've written Johnny Sexton off so many times. Man of the match. And look what's happened. Ah, uh, I see what you're doing. You're welcome, Leinster. Is that what you're saying? Well, kind of, humbly. And we'll stick with Leinster. Leinster are definitely going to get the good this week. A phenomenal performance by the whole team. 40 points against this Toulouse side in a European Cup semi-final. They look so dominant. A complete performance for me. Absolutely outstanding in every facet of the game. So Leinster, they get the good this week. Only three bits of bad this week. We're going to start off with Jim's favourite team. The Dragons. How bad? (laughs) The Dragons, they've lost again. 
This time they lost 19-18 at home to Cardiff. Close, though. But the fact is, that's 10 home games in all competitions this season and not a single victory. They haven't won a game at home all year. How bad is that, the Dragons? Yeah, they're not They're not breathing fire. They literally... <laughs> you, as in, I couldn't call myself Dragons next year. Like, I'd be like, look, like we can't have this. We can't be called the Dragons. What are you going to call them, then? The Unicorns, maybe. <laughs> the Unicorns. The Unicorns. There we go. So they get mentioned the bad this week. Second bit of bad this week, Dan Robson's leg gets a mention in the bad this week. Uh, 4G pitches, absolutely horrific. I was watching some of the Wasp boys. Jimmy Gopeth had two or three grazes on his leg and his elbow. Dan Robson has said, thank God I'm not playing on a 4G pitch again this season. The burns, man, in 30 degrees. Summer rugby, though, Jim. Yeah, but not on a rubber pitch, Andrew. That would be the whole point of summer rugby. So you don't have to use rubber. <laughs> I, mate, I genuinely, I played on them. And Leon's, having not played on it, looking at it, looks genuinely like Pound Shop. And I sometimes shop at the Pound Shop for shampoo and for bubble bath and washing up their quid. So fit for purpose, but not a great experience when you're on it or in it. <laughs> there we go. That gets mentioned the bad this week. But the bad has to go to the second semi-final of the Heineken Champions Cup this week. A really poor spectacle. A mention in the bad has to go to whoever booked the French hip-hop band to play at the Ladefonce Arena on the weekend of the semi-final. Finn Russell said it after the game that it didn't affect Racine playing in Lens, which wasn't their home ground. Of course it did, Finn. We had you on the pod last week, but I've got to disagree with you. Of course it did. If you're playing at the Ladefonce Arena in that semi-final, we are seeing a significantly better and more motivated Racing 92 team. So the bad this week goes to the second semi-final as a spectacle. It was about as good as a testicle, Jim. Well, if they were yours, they'd be massive. So I'll <laughs> rephrase that if I was you, but I'm happy to put my name to it. And then the ugly. We're going to start off with two red cards in the first half of Cardiff's 1918 win at the Dragons. Firstly, Joe Davis for a lazy shoulder to the head of Reese Carey. And then Liam Belcher's high swinging arm to the head of Will Reed was particularly ugly. Imagine your name is Liam Belcher. You just go around belching everywhere, wouldn't you? Is that being sick, is it? I don't know. Is that being sick or not? Belching is burping, but there you go. That was pretty ugly. But the ugly this week goes to a fly half in the game of ruggers. Not for his antics on the field, but Elton Yankees. Imagine flying from Dubai back to Joburg and getting arrested as you get off the plane and you are Springbok International in oh, Elton God. Yankees. So he got arrested for causing malicious damage to the property uh, of the flight and the plane on a flight back from holiday from Turkey via Dubai. Don't fuck around in Dubai. I go there a lot. We don't want that messing up, do we, Jim, for rugby players? No, we don't. Apparently, it ain't that serious. Apparently, touch the light and then turn it off and then t- turn it on and then turn it off and then turn it on and then it broke. So You ain't getting arrested for that, though, are you? Proven until not proven or whatever they call it. <laughs> <laughs> proven until not proven or whatever they call it. Hey, Turkish rules. Turkish rules in Dubai as well. So, uh, Elton Yankees, you get the ugly this week. Thanks, Goody. And a couple of shout-outs to come, isn't there? Yep, as always, we've got a few shout-outs. First one's a good one, one close to me out. It's my sister. So a big shout-out to you, Sarah, and your mate, Amy. They're doing a swim marathon of 6.2 miles, or, which they actually are doing, 400 lengths of a swimming pool. Oh, my glory. <laughs> mate, tell her face that. She, she looked like Andrew. She looked like you after a three-dayer. Mate, oh, my red puss. <laughs> yeah, and the money that they're raising is going in memory of their friend whose son passed away from cancer at the age of seven. So it's a sad one. It's for his Pass the Smile charity. It's a great cause. If you want to find out more, just search Amy and Sarah's Swim Marathon on Just Giving. 
And if you want to help them out, that would be greatly appreciated personally from me. Yeah, massive good luck to Amy and Sarah. Uh, and another shout out to a father and son duo in Neil and Derek Young. I wonder who the son is. I wonder who the father is. Derek's got to be the older one, right? Derek, definitely. I mean, you, if you're a young lad called Derek, then you ain't happy with your dad, Neil, are you? No. But Neil and Derek, between them, have served as chairman and bar manager of Red Car Rugby Club for over 35 years. They're stepping down after a hell of a shift together. Uh, so enjoy the retirement drinks, lads. Well, if they're both older then Derek's fine. Do you know what I mean? But if you're 21 and your name's Derek, which it can't be because 35 years would mean they're not 21. Anyway, good luck, lads, and well done. So last one from me. We know them well, Andrew, and they're doing great things on June the 3rd and 4th. Dino, I don't know how. And some other former Leicester Tiger legends, including Backy, Freddie Tuolangi, and Martin Corrie, me old Bush. They'll be joining the Mad Dog 100 cycle. More than 100 miles to raise money for the Leicester Royal Infirmary. So just search Mad Dog 100 on Just Giving to get involved with that. Dino! Can you imagine Dino's nutsack on a bike? Biggest thing I've ever seen in my life. He's getting old now, though, so you don't know which way. I don't know whether it heads north or south. So, Mate, they'd be bigger. Droopier and bigger. Yeah, maybe just tie them up. I don't, I don't know. I'm not old, Andrew. I don't know how it works. <laughs> Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Goody. Thanks, Producer Tristan. And thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube and make sure you're subscribed on Spotify. Rupee Spot. Spot a pod, 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 pod. Uh-huh.